This is Fractal Marketing, the podcast for innovative entrepreneurs taking their product to market. Each show, we take an outside look at one company's marketing and discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, over to your host, Jared Doyle. So this episode, I'm joined by Lachlan Kirkwood. Lachlan is a digital marketing specialist based near me in Brisbane. And much like me, has got a background working across tech startups and digital agencies. He's responsible for utilizing the latest digital marketing strategies to enhance conversion-based outcomes. Lachlan also runs ClickThrough, a platform to help digital marketers connect with jobs they love. And I love the idea of that because there is so much work out there, but it's not always work that we love doing. So I love that idea. Lachlan, welcome to the episode. Thank you very much for having me. Very excited to jump on board. Great. So Lachlan has picked the company Webflow and we're going to pull apart Webflow from the outside, from a marketer's point of view. We're going to look at what we love, what we hate, what we're curious about, what we don't understand, what we think they could do better. Um, and we're going to see if we can work out you know, basically Webflow from the outside, what their marketing is doing, and also a little bit about the that whole space about web design and no code and everything behind that and that movement. So, Lachlan, for those people playing along at home, can you tell us a little bit about Webflow before we dig into it? Yeah, absolutely. So, Webflow is pretty ubiquitous right now in the tech industry. It's pretty much been riding the whole no code movement um, over the past couple of years. And it really has been only in the past 12 months that no code's kind of taken the world by storm. And essentially what no code is, is just tools that allow you to build products without having to actually see code itself. So it's almost like visual programming. And there's certainly been tools out there for years, things like WordPress that have been able to do that for people. But the tools are getting a lot more powerful these days where you can create user accounts and display dynamic content across websites. And Webflow has been around for a very long time, actually. It's been through many iterations. I think it was in 2009, the founders started working on it. But the reason I guess it's gotten so big is because the whole creator economy right now is booming, um, especially throughout COVID, where everyone was starting to explore what it could be to build their own businesses. And people without any technical experience are more empowered than ever to build anything in the space of a couple of weeks. And the other big reason is that the tech is better. So you can um, scale things much better on no code these days. Uh, it's much easier to design things with custom CSS without even having to know how to write CSS. Um, and to Webflow's strengths, that's what they kind of specialize in the most. And the reason I chose Webflow is because I'm actually contracting for a company called Bubble and they are one of the other leaders in the no code space. So Webflow is actually one of our competitors, but I, for years, have worshipped Webflow's marketing strategy, and I think what they're doing is absolutely fantastic. So I always take a lot of inspiration from what they're doing and try to add our own little flavor onto it at Bubble. Great. So the space there about no-code, I, I love when something like no-code is invented because, like you said, it kind of already existed. Like people were already using, you said, WordPress, or maybe they had Wix or Squarespace, and you know it wasn't given a name. And then I guess marketers and advertising and branding type people were always brilliant at taking something and then it already existed to a certain degree and then creating a little definition around it and creating a movement. You know, was Webflow, did you say they were, they jumped onto the no code and sort of positioned themselves around that? Or do you think, or were they actually instrumental in sort of really pushing the whole no code movement? Bit of both, to be honest. So I know the founders at Bubble actually 
didn't prefer or didn't like the term no-code because they thought it was like another blockchain kind of hype word that a lot of people were using. So they preferred the term visual programming because that is a bit more descriptive as to what it is. Webflow didn't coin the term. I think the community just started giving it that name because they wanted names for like who they were. They're not software developers, but they're also people who can build software. So what do you call them? So they just started calling themselves no-coders. And Webflow really saw that as an opportunity to kind of mold that identity within the industry. And they started using that pretty commonly throughout a lot of their branding that they were using. I know they have a um, no-code conf, which is like their yearly conference for the no-code space, which they're the first people to coin that. So yeah, they've definitely been riding that wave and trying to push that as much as they can now. And even at Bubble now, we're really starting to embrace the whole no-code movement and use that within kind of the content that we're sharing. So let's let's dig a little bit into that persona just so we get our heads completely around it. So there's obviously people who are, in one sense, no-coders in the fact that they, they built a website on Wix. I mean, there's no code. But actually, the persona of no-code starts to feel to me like it's somebody who has an appreciation of code or the need for bespoke but doesn't actually code at the, the base back end. Because when I look at Webflow, and I look at their interface, it's a bit more complicated. It's not, it's not weak. You know, there, there is code. You can just go in there and you can adjust by the pixel. You can change something from 16 pixels to 17 pixels. You, you can actually edit the actual definitions. It's not just drag and drop. Is that, is that how a no coder defines themselves? Is it's, it's more than just not coding with no code. Like that's almost like a simple version. This is much more. It's a bit like being vegans, not just about not eating animal products. It's about the movement of veganism. Is that what a no code is basically the vegans of the coding world? And further so. <laughs> to that point, do they then shout about it like vegans? Yes, yes, and yes, absolutely. So <laughs> I'm an avid no coder myself. And the reason I contract with Bubble is because I was using Bubble for a year and eventually I ended up just reaching out to one of the founders and asking if I could do some work for them. So I guess I fit quite nicely into the target persona. So I'm a digital marketer. My background's in tech startups. I can read some strings of code, but I definitely can't write anything. HTML is probably the furthest my knowledge goes to, but I certainly have an appreciation for it. I know how important it is. And yeah, there is definitely a steeper learning curve to tools like Webflow, particularly Bubble, because Bubble, you're actually writing logic. You just don't see the JavaScript that you're writing. It just does it visually for you. But it certainly does take quite a bit to understand it. And one of the reasons that I love Webflow so much, and I'm happy to dive into this soon, is just the amount of content they've created around education for even just like onboarding people to their product is phenomenal. And I think that's one of the reasons why they do so well. Yeah, let's jump straight into that because so what I always do, be my first love of marketing was SEO. That's the first sort of discipline I got. And so my default position is to go straight to Ahrefs and stick a domain in and have a look. And, and straight away, I look at it and kind of go 63,000 referring domains, 35 million backlinks, but you know, whatever that's worth. But 510,000 organic words, 687 organic monthly traffic. So I'm looking at that oh, in Ahrefs say that's worth $1.6 million worth of SEO traffic, right? So good start, right? But to your point, you know, that half a million organic keywords, that comes from amazing content and, and sort of that content that goes beyond sort of someone searching for a no-code web design tool. This is about understanding the pain points of a persona and giving first and, and then sort of building from that. Kev, you, you've obviously looked more at it than me. What, what do you feel like their content strategy is for this particular persona? So I've listened to a podcast um, previously in the past about 
the founders of Webflow and when they initially started the business, the actual personas that they created. And there was two of them that they just laser focused on and that was all they focused on building for. And the main one was a an existing software developer who knows how to write code. He knows how to, well, sorry, they know how to build custom websites or products, but they just want to streamline their time. So they might be a freelancer, they might have an, an agency and they can only just I guess sell that time for money and you know the time it takes to build a custom product is just much longer uh, than it is to build it on Webflow where they have existing templates or you can just drag and drop elements. Um, so that was one of the main problems that we're going to solve and the thing you'll notice on their blog is they do certainly post a lot of content around like the no-code industry but their main educational content is things like a series where they actually educate those users or those personas on how to better themselves. So they've got like a blog series for building your own agency or building a website with good SEO or even if you're building a custom e-commerce store, not just how to build that store, but how to get your first customers, how to um, build retention with those customers, how to create better UX so that way, you know, your conversion rate increases. So they really want their customers to succeed. And I think that's why Webflow succeeds so well. So that's interesting. So they've defined their persona. They've gone, okay, our product might help them out, but let's dig into what, what what's the pain point that they all have. And often that the, the primary pain point when you're running your own business or you're a freelancer or a consultant is I've got to win new clients or how do I get them or how do I increase my fees? And so they're writing blogs and full courses by looks of it, I think you sort of said that, that actually help educate people. So they're saying, look, let's appeal to that. And then it just happens that, you know, Webflow is part of that entire process and hence the reason why they've created, you know, Webflow University. I mean, I'm just having a quick scroll through it now. I mean, it's extensive. Like they've obviously put a lot of work into that. The other thing I think they've done so well with terms of SEO isn't just their blog content, it's their YouTube as well. So... To put it into perspective, Twitter is one of the biggest, if not the biggest channel in the no-code space right now. Anyone in tech is pretty much on Twitter. So Webflow, I think, has around like 70,000 Twitter followers, which is much bigger in comparison to, if you put Bubble into perspective, I think we're at 15K. So they're pretty much leading the no-code industry there. So that 70,000 on Twitter is still smaller than what they have on YouTube, which is 75K um, subscribers. And what they're really focused on with YouTube is just putting out, again, really good tutorials on how to use their products, how to use no code, how to build like replica products, things like Uber or Instagram with no code. So that way if people are searching for, you know, how do I build this certain feature in no code? Um, so if someone's new to the industry, they don't even know if it's possible. Webflow is going to be the first thing that ranks for that. And even if from an SEO perspective, if they're getting that kind of featured snippet with the videos, like that's going to rank quite well for them. So it's really interesting to see how much time and effort they also put into their video content as well. Cause I mean, it's not easy to just churn out like the good quality videos that they've been doing for years. So it's very impressive to see. Yeah. I guess that's the thing, isn't it? You, you look at the the growth of their traffic and the links, and everything they've got, and there, there is that lag and there's, you've got to have that complete commitment and you can kind of almost see it in the way they acquired links. It's like they started and almost put 12 or 18 months in. And yeah, they would have had some gains, but it's almost like to become that overnight success, as they were saying, like took two years worth of work. It's like they worked on the content and the persona and the targeting for, for near on two years and then sort of hit that hockey stick growth. But you've got to have real fortitude to stick to a content plan with that kind of tenacity. So so all credit to them. I'm also intrigued that they've, they've started extracting things. So, you know, 
obviously engage with, like you said, the community on Twitter, but then they're kind of bringing them into their Webflow community and they're running forum.webflow.com. And so they're obviously sort of saying at some point we need to start to own this communication, so not rely on third parties and actually start to produce that. And my original thought was, oh, okay, it didn't look like there was too much activity. And then I realized... The activity, like the posts, I was looking going, oh, they've only had like, you know, a handful of views here, a couple of responses. And then I realized that last post was 16 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 25, 26 minutes ago. And you go, oh, there's a heap of stuff happening on their forum as well. I mean, do you have any idea when they started the forum? And and, I mean, from an outside looking in, do you think there was a tipping point where they kind of went, okay, we've got X amount of YouTube, X amount of Twitter, we can start to control this online. Because look, I guess, you know, uh, an on, your ho- own hosted forum is the dream, you know, own your community and own the chat. But obviously they had to get a certain amount of traction first. I mean, w- what would be your instincts as to when they started that and what the, the threshold would have been that they crossed? We didn't have an exact answer when that started, surely because I'm all for the bubble forum. That's where I normally hang yep. out. But I know that, I kind of hate to talk about bubble so much, but I know that Bubble had previously done zero marketing until like a year ago. Now they've been building that for like eight years, I think. And the reason they were able to acquire, I think it was like a couple hundred thousand customers was purely because of their forum. And they use Discourse, which is just like a third party forum to host conversations on. And a lot of the questions people were posting and the answers they were um, sharing actually started to rank. So again, when people search for like, how do I build an Instagram in bubble or how do I build like a, a social feed or a like button using no code? Um, all those tools started, um, sorry, all of those, uh, so yeah, all those questions started to rank. Um, uh, and I imagine that Webflow is also including that into their SEO strategy. Um, so they're trying to get that user generated content. So it's a bit more scalable, I guess, in terms of not having to just consistently get their employees to churn out good content. It includes the community in, and it also solves that problem for them as well. Perfect. What's, um, you know, uh, we've touched on SEO, but there's obviously, there's some paid stuff behind that. We're seeing some paid search. We're seeing some, you know, social and some retargeting in there. Do you feel like the strategy for Webflow is to get that first touch point, to give that first bit of like, here's a little, here's a little taste. Here's some free content. Here's an answer to a problem you have. And then all the paid is actually about bringing you back and back again to more content. So, you know, the first acquisition, if you think of it like in terms of like pirate net metrics, it's kind of like, let's acquire them through some content, some social sharing. But then the activation is all about that that retargeting and bringing people back in. From the outside, that's my guess. What, what are you, what's your feeling on their, their paid strategy? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you there. Um, I love their paid ads. Honestly, they're one of the very few that I will sit and watch a whole video through and I'm pretty biased in saying that I do love watching ads as a marketer. Uh, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. <laughs> I put them in the same category. I don't know if you've seen many of Fiverr's YouTube ads. I love Fiverr's YouTube ads as well. Like it's just, they're, they're very engaging. They're very creative, somewhat professional as well. So yeah, definitely their paid ad experiences are amazing. Um, now I get those both across YouTube and Facebook. And what I love about their paid acquisition strategy is that they will create, I guess, native ads for every format and platform, but also repurpose like the same videos. So there's an ad for instance, where they highlight a problem where a marketing agency needs to change a client's there's like type on their website and they run through this kind of skit where they've got to try and contact their dev. The dev forwards them over to their like third party dev who's like international and overseas and they 
like can't get in contact with them. Um, and then there's the alternative where you could just jump in Webflow and anyone could just make a change to the website. So it's really engaging in that sense. And um, they'll even use like influencers within the industry. Um, so I know Pablo Stanley, a famous designer, had quite a good partnership with Webflow for quite a while where he would just review the product and talk about like what you could do in it. And they had that social proof built and then they just used that content within the paid acquisition strategy. And again, they would optimize these ads for every single platform. So if it's on YouTube, it's a full screen ad. If it's in a Facebook or Instagram feed, it was a square ad. And if it was on a story, it was an actual like portrait video. So it all looked very clean. It was really clear CTAs um, and it always just showcased like how you could use the product, what problem it would solve and being retargeting ads, they were very direct about like, hey, like this is like how you can get to that next stage and what you're trying to achieve with Webflow or no code. And the ads themselves, they weren't breaking down into the specific features. So they weren't clicking through and, and showing the interface. They were focused on the, the macro problem that they solved, which was, you know, client interactions, customer interactions. That then even on the retargeting, they sit on that kind of side of things? Or have you found that once you actually open up an account, there's another level of retargeting, which is much more granular about features and, and, and value and comparison? Or is that you haven't sort of dug that deep yet? No, I did a little bit. And no, there wasn't any retargeting after that, to be honest. Um, I think that once you're at that point, that's where things like the forum or that Webflow University does take over. Like they don't really need to put that money into that extra level of retargeting just because by that point, you know that Webflow is going to solve your problem. Um, it will help you do this. You just need to figure out exactly how to do that. And it's a little bit, I guess, hard to do to show, you know, specific ads to people looking to build certain things. So, yeah, that's where things like their forum or that, that university really kicks in and takes over. Yeah. The other thing I like about what they've done is their branding. And I'm, you know, I'm not a branding expert. That's not my area. But like all things in art, everyone's got an opinion. But what I love about what they do is they've just got these bold colors that they just maintain across everything that they do. And they're kind of, I don't know how to describe them, but they're all warm. There's kind of like a, a sense of sort of, you know, I guess warmth is in a way. There's a lot of sort of bright oranges and reds, but they've got that color palette and they use it throughout everything that they're doing. So it's almost like, but by using a sort of a, a variety of, color a variety of colors in that palette it also means it doesn't get too boring and too too same-ish so i'm intrigued by by that because it sort of it's a nice way for them to get that that branding on everything they do as well so you know they've obviously put a lot of thought and time into this and and then building that community i guess the other thing too is they probably have quite a good lock-in so you know going back to that target persona if that first persona it's a really good growth strategy, which is to say, you know, sell once and get them to sell multiple times. And so if you get an agency or a developer that's doing contract work, not only do they get the work done once, but then they're kind of leaving behind the legacy for that work, which is to say, hey, client, you can continue to look after this. You don't have to do me. And I'm not a designer, but I know one of the big bugbears of, of web builders is the client who rings back three years after you build a website and they need you to change something for them. You know, And it's like, you haven't touched it, they haven't done anything, they don't want to pay for it. Webflow kind of gets rid of that problem. So I can see that being part of the pitch. But what I like about it is the idea that this army of freelancers out there leaving behind Webflow clients who can potentially continue to pay for the, the hosting and, and managing it themselves. So it's almost like that first persona was about finding the people that would make the biggest splash and empower growth. Is that, I'm guessing that's the, the case of any competitor that comes against Webflow. They're all going to, everyone's going to be, you know, the ideal 
sort of customer isn't the one use one website. It's actually the freelancer who potentially has a lot more value than they do as an individual customer. Is that, I'm guessing that's the case. It's probably the case with, with Bubble and everybody else in the same space. Everyone wants the freelancer who's pumping out, you know, 20 websites a week, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing as well I love is that you mentioned the whole lock-in concept is, so Webflow, similar to Bubble, is free to use while you build your product. You'll only pay for it once you put it in like a production environment. So by that point, like you've really kind of built your application. You're not going to want to rebuild that on another platform, especially once you've gone through the experience of having to learn it um, and, you know, understand like the nuances of the specific tool itself. So by the time that you launch, it really is kind of you're locked in, I guess, in some sense. You're free to leave whenever, of course. And that's why they do focus on so many of those educational resources is because they know that the client will die when their business or like their goal dies so they want to try and keep that alive as long as possible for that particular client if that makes sense but it is interesting seeing like a lot of that product-led growth that does kind of come from as you mentioned like getting the freelancers or the businesses on board what i do love about webflow is that it is just such a great product and as someone who's worked in paid acquisition pretty much my whole time throughout my marketing career I always thought that I would hate the term branding or like word of mouth. I didn't, they didn't exist in my vocabulary, but like seeing a product like Webflow, it really is amazing. You'll follow someone on Twitter who announces that they're finally, you know, getting into this whole no code movement. Then they'll mention that they use Webflow and then their feed for the next like week or month will just be every single day that we're talking about a new feature they learn Webflow, how much they love the tool. And it just comes from building a really great product. It's like using Slack or Asana or Trello. Like you just, or Notion even, like you just love the product and you just want to share it with anyone who is facing the same problems or your own community as well. So that's something that's really powerful that they use. And they do it quite strategically as well. So they'll post a lot of like questions on Twitter and things like that, asking the community like what they're building and to share a photo of their design. And then the CEO is very interactive and he'll engage with a lot of these people themselves. So he'll retweet their tweet and say like, this is looking really good, like keep it up. And then that person will go and share it with their audience again. So it's really impressive to see kind of how much um, they're putting into kind of building that um, engagement with the community as well. Yeah, I like the idea, I mean, getting back to your first point, I like the idea of any product where you get so deeply engaged and invested for air quote free that you're actually able, by the time it gets there, you can spin it. And that's the benefit, I guess, of having your own platform is that you know you've got that lock-in, right? So you can't just sort of take it away and do it somewhere else. So you've got that investment. So it's actually, you know, the onboarding is about getting someone to that success point and then you kind of own that person. You also mentioned there about all the other kind of tools that you know people become evangelistic about. And in the same way, I kind of feel like the persona, it's, it would be a really interesting way for Webflow to map their target persona, right? You know, do you use Zapier? Yes. Okay, you're probably interested in what we're doing. Do you use Trello? Do you use Airtable? Whatever it happens to be, they're all going to be really, really positive buying signals to the point where if you use enough of these, they're almost like, oh, you're guaranteed to love what we're doing. My guess is if I was doing it or if, if I wanted to do a competitor to this product would be to do exactly that. I would jump into, you know, built with or whatever tools I can find and basically try to track down all the people out there that are doing, using all these tools and saying, okay, you are our target, you know? So Jared, do you use Zapier? Do you use Trello? Do you use, you know, whatever else I might be doing. Are you a marketer? Yes. Okay. So here is your problem. Here's what we're able to do for you. I, I like that because it's, 
I guess it makes it really easy to quantify who your target market is. Although, you, you know, you're going to run into limits. And so that kind of drew me to the second part, which was, you know, WordPress, which is the big daddy out there. You know, so many web, web, websites on WordPress. One of the things, just doing my little bit of research beforehand that I really liked was the way, you know, they had put the, they've put the effort in to do the kind of migrate from WordPress, you know, so you've got a website, you've got lots of posts, let's bring them across. To me, that's the pain, right? The reason why I'm going to use WordPress is because everything integrates with WordPress. From what I understand, and, and um, if you can fill in the blanks here, it'd be good. It does appear that if I wanted to rebuild the Fractal website in, you know, Webflow, I could do that, bring my, my posts across and actually design it if I understand correctly, in Webflow, but actually still hosted on a WordPress backend. Is that the way they've got it set up or have I mixed that up? No, you definitely can. So their custom CMS is quite good. And this is the benefit to Webflow is that considering, I mean, I would say it's quite young still, like it's got a long way to go, but like it's quite feature rich and it does integrate with a lot of tools, um, particularly like its integration with Zapier is phenomenal as well. But yeah, you can definitely host like your backend on um, third-party applications and a good example of this is Airtable as well so Airtable is massive at the moment um, between Webflow and Airtable they're probably the two biggest in the no-code movement right now so Webflow knows that it is more of a design first platform so it's where you can design your actual static product make it look great do it really simply but they don't specialize in back-end and I think that's what differentiates them from Bubble. Bubble focuses on being able to build your back-end natively within the platform so Webflow has an amazing integration with Airtable, which you can use as just like a custom database. Um, so you have that freedom, I guess, to know that you can host that wherever you want. So there kind of isn't that lock-in, but in a sense, like once you've got your front end, you built all those workflows, you're, you're pretty much locked in at that point. So yeah, there's definitely some benefits to that as well. The hosting thing is interesting for me. So I have this allergic reaction about being locked into things. So I like, I like to have different devices, different products, different tools, you know. So I was speaking to, I had a podcast recently, we're looking at different tools that try to be the answer to everything. And I find hosting is one of those interesting ones where I often don't want too many things locked into one place. I like to be able to separate them. It's, for me, it's like having my having my own domain name you know, owning that on GoDaddy or, you know, whatever, leasing it on GoDaddy and being able to point my emails via Google. I, I don't want to register my domains with Google. It feels like I've done too much. So to, to that end with Webflow and hosting, do you think hosting for them is a profit center? Do you think it's there because it makes it easier? Or do you think it's part of a lock-in? Or do you think it's part of all three or a fourth thing that I haven't mentioned? I think you really have my head there. It's kind of all part of all three, to be honest. Yeah. So for me, I'm like, so I might have an allergic reaction to the idea of hosting with them. It kind of feels to design it with one tool and then also a host, which is one of the reasons why the things like, um, I guess, Squarespace and Wix appeal to some people. But to me, it's always a bit, I always get a bit nervous. You kind of feel like you're locked in and then it's like, oh, you want to add that form to Wix? Yeah, sure. It's not a problem. It's an extra $50 recurring a month. Yeah. And you say, hang on, this is, <laughs> this is totally out of proportion to everything else that I've done. Yeah. So my instinct with Webflow is that hosting is much more about actually it's just allowing you to quickly get live because they don't want to run into this barrier where people are trying to, you know, desperately find a host that can cater for what they want. My, my assumption though is that actually it's, it's relatively simple to, to roll this out and, and, and host it somewhere or, or, or maybe it's more complicated. Again, you know, I'm a real no code, no code. Like I've got very little experience, yeah. but you know, I'm assuming you can just host Webflow sites just on a normal standard sort of cPanel cheap, split it up. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that what they're trying to get at now is that they do want to become the next WordPress or Wix. Like they, and they have the very um, realistic option of like that becoming a, sorry. And they have the chance of that becoming a real scenario. Um, so they want to, I guess, for those people coming and they want to, for the new people coming into no code, be able to provide those services where it is just like a one-click web hosting if they need it. But also at the same time for those people who are running like their own agencies or people like yourself who don't like lock in, to be able to have that flexibility to host it on a third party wherever you want. The other thing I love about Webflow, and this is something that we don't have at Bubble, is the ability to export your code essentially. So you can export all your custom HTML, CSS, because at the moment, there's been this big kind of concern in the no-code space that no-code doesn't scale. And it certainly doesn't scale as well as, you know, building a custom application natively out of like React or JavaScript or anything like that. And Bubble doesn't allow you to export your logic. So if you get to the point where you need to take it to like a custom developer because it's just starting to slow or you've scaled to, I don't know, too many users, you're locked in and you can't do that. Um, and I think the reason they do that is not from like a lock-in point of view, but just from a technical challenge because you are writing so much kind of custom logic. Whereas Webflow being more of like a static kind of website builder that integrates with third-party tools to make kind of that logic possible, you can just export, as I said, all your custom HTML and CSS. So you can just go and take that to someone else as well. So I know for a fact, like I help Bubble manage their community and every day we'll get someone that asks or complains about not being able to export your code. And that's kind of a reason why they decide not to use Bubble. Whereas Webflow, on the other hand, supports that. So I think they're definitely trying to kind of allow people to have that flexibility. That's interesting. So that's that the fear that I have that I articulated, which is, oh, that lock-in fear, that fear that I can't go somewhere else, you know? So back in the olden days of mobile phones, when you couldn't bring your number across, you go, well, I can't leave Telstra because if I lose, leave Telstra, I lose my number. So you'd stay with them and to remove that. So they've obviously said, we believe in our product enough that it's still worth staying with us. So you're not going to do that. But in the same time, we're not going to put a barrier up because, you know, typical marketing sales, process is if someone has three objections you know by the time they've produced three and you haven't really done meet them satisfactorily you, you tend to lose the sale so obviously that ability to just pick up your code and stick it somewhere else and not be beholden to their system is is part of that process so you know i really like that i you know on the on the scale side which is the other thing too right so that's so that's pushing up so i'm, I'm imagining a positioning map here where you've got webflow pushing up into custom builds and then down into kind of like the the sort of the WYSIWYG, you know, beginner market, if you like, right? So they're kind of in the middle of this space and they need to push up and down at the same time. Now, one part of me feels like if I was doing their marketing, I wouldn't be pushing down too hard. I'd let I'd let Squarespace and Wix run really hard onboarding those first customers and let them top out and then have to find that next place to go to. So they're obviously well, at least my interpretation of their marketing is they're very much pushing up, which is to go after the custom build. Let's go further up into custom. And I was having a look at on, you know, built with and trying to pick at some of the sites. So I was looking at um, Charleston University, it appears, run their entire front-end website on Webflow. So I guess that's a big part of, you know, you said about that social proof. That's a big part is being able to point to, you know, I guess even as a freelancer, you're often sort of, you know, clients are often looking and saying, well, who else? Who else is... um 
in this same space. You know, who else is, who else has done it before me? So there's that no risk, you know, that no, you know, no one got fired for buying IBM approach to marketing, which is to say, oh, well, if Charles Sturt University's done, it's probably good for us. If Neurophone's done it, then it's probably good for us. So there's all these case studies that I think that they need to get to get out there. And that's what I've done. I'm sort of looking at how many are on there. I'm sort of, and I'm having a look and at least if I've got web, at least if I've got built with right, there's just over 4,000 Australian customers using it. So I guess they've reached that, that tipping point to sort of say, actually, you can do this. You can host, you know, a big website on it, which was, you know, that was where, um, I'm trying to think, oh, that's halfbrick.com is on there as well. So you know, it's interesting. <laughs> These are people you think would be technically savvy. Sorry, halfbrick, of course, are technically savvy. So they've obviously done that that process, which is a different type of social proof to the Squarespace approach. Squarespace have obviously gone straight for the celebrity social proof, which is to say, I don't know who they got. I think they did Keanu Reeves and they did um, John Malkovich. And obviously these aren't tech first people. They've got other skills, but they've been able to pitch that. Are you seeing more in the no-code space the need to prove the credentials? Like, are they going to get to the stage soon where they're kind of having a shoot off and sort of saying, hey, this is this is our tech first, you know, custom build or whatever it is. Are they going to try to get to that stage to say, actually, it's getting to the point now where it's actually smarter to build with no code than it is to, to build bespoke? Or do you think they're going to leave that last bastion alone? So we at Bubble, like, developers either hate us or love us. And I imagine it's the same across every no code tool at the moment. And a lot of developers say, oh, you know, Bubble doesn't scale, it's crap, it's taking our jobs. Um, but then the argument is other developers say they love it because it saves them so much time getting feature request changes, people asking for them to be their co-founders, them having to you know change a type on a website. So it frees up a whole ton of their time and allows them to concentrate on that kind of lower level work instead of just, you know, the high level stuff that doesn't really challenge themselves as engineers. Um, I think that winning over engineers is going to be such a, a powerful kind of distribution channel in a way. Um, and the reason I say that is because if an engineer goes to a new team and I don't know, like they're at an agency and they ask them to build like a custom site out of JavaScript or from scratch with HTML or CSS, like they're just going to say like, there's no point in doing that. Just buy a Webflow template or even just use it, you know, from scratch. It's going to take you a week instead of a couple of months. So there's just that social proof. It's the people who are decision makers that are kind of making that choice for them. And I guess it'll also free up their time as well. So again, it allows them to work on more kind of important tasks. The other thing I was going to mention to your point about all the different tools. And I think that this is a reason why Webflow doesn't cop as much kind of flack around like the scalability issue is in bubble everything is hosted in like bubble itself so you can host your back end your front end you integrate them flawlessly like it works really well but the downside is is that once your back end slows down you start to see bubble as the problem or something that's like restricting you or holding you back whereas webflow because your back end is in Airtable, you're only limited to the constraints of what Airtable has um, so it's actually not webflow's problem i guess you could say if you know your application starts to slow it might need sorry it might be that you need to upgrade your Airtable account so it can handle more kind of um requests or something like that um so it's really interesting to see that like they're actually kind of like diversifying the tools that can integrate with it and they've chosen just one kind of area to focus on at the moment and i'm sure it might change in the years to come they might try and focus on being able to build logic natively within the platform but yeah, at the moment, they've just kind of stuck at what they're good at and really doubled down on it. And that, that's a 
standard path to market now. The connected API economy out there, which is to say that if you build something that integrates beautifully with everything that's out there, then that's what you're likely to use. So I look, it appeals to me for a couple of reasons. One, as I've said, I don't like lock-in, so I like the idea of stuff that connects. I like the idea that one tool doesn't try to do everything. And 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 look, sometimes the the tool that says it does three or four things is actually better at three or four things. But our human nature is that we always believe that one thing has to be the best at something. So if they something specializes, it's going to be better. And so for me, that feels quite good. And and I I was always a bit dubious about you know the connected API marketing channel as as existing until I realized. You know, when I look at my business and look at what decisions I make, it's like if somebody doesn't integrate with Zero, it's like it's off the shopping list, you know? Yeah, it's, and then I'm looking at a tool and then you kind of go, mm, I wonder if, and you scroll down and I'm looking for Zapier, you know, or Zapier. So if I see Zapier, I'm like, okay, I, my, I, my heart rate goes down. I'm like, okay, this is possibly going to work with everything that I'm doing. And this just starts to happen to the point where, you know, my, my invoicing tool that I use, I use because it integrates with every other tool that I'm doing. It's like, you know, I feel like... I think it's a good place to be. The, I guess the difficulty is starting from zero. You know, so you see a lot of these apps launch out of almost nothing, and then they kind of can slowly grow up through that API economy. It does give a whole other path to market, which is to say, you know, Airtable or Zapier or whatever it happens to be, or zero. There are primary drivers. There are things that you start with, and then that can drive an entire economy behind it. And I do wonder how many businesses now have successfully or are successfully launching purely through connectivity, which is to say they don't do any other marketing than to say we solve one problem. We do it really well and we integrate and connect flawlessly with everything else that's out there. You do get the feeling that that is now a path to market. So instead of going, you know, Google, Facebook, you know, YouTube, whatever it is out there and trying to reach that consumer, you just go, hey, let's just plug into a small little segment and solve the problem for existing players and see if we can sort of siphon people back and forth. My guess is with Webflow, I'm not sure that's actually necessarily an acquisition strategy as much as it's it allows them to be seen as being a specialist. At least from the outside, my perception is it allows them to be seen as a specialist. It allows them to, as you said, divorce themselves of some responsibility. They don't have to build so much product and ship it. <laughs> and and I guess it also allows them to you know, potentially, I guess, get through association, get scale and and uh, you know product fit. So, uh, look, I think it's a good approach. The question is always at what point do you start to eat that lunch, right? <laughs> at what point do you start to move into it and say, oh, we'll do hosting and then we'll do this and we'll build our own database back end. I guess that's the dilemma they're going to find. Yeah, by the looks of it, yeah, WordPress is probably a better market to go after, but it's still yeah. interesting. <laughs> I would even argue that it's not really a dilemma in a way. Like if you look at any startup that's trying to kind of, this is just from a business perspective, not so much a marketing perspective, but if you start really small, you can ship something of value really quickly. And I have friends that have like built one page landing pages for like uh, e-commerce stores. So if you just literally have one product you want to sell, it will literally do that and nothing else. But once you build an audience around that, once you're solving that problem, it's then easier to introduce those other features and actually get demand for those as well. And you can start to get great feedback from your customers about what other problems they have. And it's just easier to kind of solve those problems gradually as opposed to just, you know, sitting in a vacuum for two years trying to build this massive feature-rich application and ship that straight away. So I'm all for that, to be honest. Um, And I think that's the reason why bubble is a little bit further behind in the no code space is because the founders were just i guess building 
been trying to build a really great product for so long. And just with tech the way it was, it took a bit longer um, just because, you know, they had to get scalability into it and things like that, which just was quite a technical challenge throughout those kind of early 2010 days. Um, whereas now, you know, it's much more common to do that with AWS. So, yeah, I, I think it's a good option, to be honest. And again, as I said, it's not really much of like a marketing strategy. It's more just like a business strategy overall. I think it's a, something that all startups should really kind of pursue. Yeah. So just one last question from me or one last discussion point is around that recurring revenue and, and building that base. So if if our ideal early customer or any customer is the freelancer knocking out, you know, or an agency knocking out 10, 20 sites a week, do those freelancers then jettison those accounts off to independent Webflow accounts? You know, are the freelancers incentivized to do that? Do they get a clip of a ticket moving on? You know, are the referral programs like, how do the, how does that economy work? Or does the, the freelancer then maintain them all under their account and then charge it? Like, that's what I'm trying to work out. Have they built a, an agency? Like, there's content, but have they built a revenue model that supports those agencies with recurring money on hosting and referral fees? Or is it a case that you kind of, jettison a client and go, well, there's your Webflow account, everything is in it, locked and loaded, and you can take care of it yourself. I haven't looked into it, so I'm just wondering how that that post-build economy works. Try to look at it now, to be honest. I haven't looked into it a whole lot as well. I've never really had that problem myself, like building stuff for multiple clients on Webflow. I'm just going to get pricing page here. And they do have like pricing tiers that are better for like active freelancers and designers themselves. Yeah, sorry, I wouldn't have an exact answer for you. I think that's something that I'll probably dig into right after this podcast because yeah, I'd be really curious to know, like, does the client then pay for it as opposed to the agency paying for it, which gives them access? I know they've got, like, um, like enterprise tiers and things like that. I guess we'd give more around, like, permissions and things like that as well too. But, yeah, sorry, I wouldn't have, like, a particular answer for you on that one. Yeah. No, it's, I find it interesting because it's, I think of something like, uh, Shopify and the way Shopify works. And so Shopify, if you were going to build a Shopify site and, and that was your space, so you built e-commerce websites. The idea is you go in, you spin up a site on Shopify for a client. They have a look at it and go, look, this looks amazing. You do it through your agency account. They're super happy. And then you hand it over to them and then they, the client takes over and runs it because Shopify wants to run that. They need to run that one to one connection with an e-commerce store. And then the person who built it gets a, re a referral, you know, a referral fee, but they can also keep agency access so they can kind of get in. But at the same time, the client could choose to, to lock them back out, which I think is a really good model for Shopify. I did see that Webflow has an affiliate program, but to me, an affiliate program, or at least the traditional sense, is very much kind of like, hey, you should check out Webflow, click, and then I'm done with it. Whereas you actually want to bake it into the whole experience. So I guess this is this is homework to follow up on is to, to look at, Oh, here we go. I'm saying pro accounts can add their own logo and client billing forms. Yeah. But, so, you know, I think there's an interesting market there, which is to see, well, how does it all work? How do clients pay? Where do you get access to, you know, and it seems like they've set it up in such a way that your clients get access and maybe you get a parent. So let's go back to something that you and I have probably dealt with much more, which is like the old Google My Client Center. Mm. which of course there is no commission on, but the idea of a client center is that, you know, you get one login, you can access all your client accounts, you can see them through one admin. It feels like it's set up like that. I'm just curious to see, I don't know how the money flow with Google, they don't have to worry about it, right? <laughs> you don't get any commissions back on Google. I don't think you ever did, but um, it'd be really interesting to see how that works and if there's an economy they can build behind that. Because that's, to me, that's what I found intriguing about places like Shopify or, 
What's the what's the Australian equivalent of Shopify? I've forgotten the name of it now. Neo Neto, that's the one. <laughs> or big commerce. Yeah. I think there's an interesting there's an interesting economic model to put around that and deciding, you know, whether you want to trust them on, you know, whether you pay that fee forevermore, which is what Shopify does, or whether it's just sort of a setup on a one-off fee, which I think is more of the Neto approach. So mm. it's interesting. I'll have, a, I'll have a look and see how these guys go. Was there anything else about Webflow that you sort of, we haven't touched on that you think from a marketing point of view is important to cover before we finish off? We kind of mentioned it with like in summary of all of their channels together, but community is the biggest thing for Webflow, I think. So just really trying to, I guess, collate that no code movement and get people involved and just um, congratulate the people who are involved i think that's something really powerful and that's something that we're starting to do at bubble as well and take a lot of inspiration from webflow in the process as well um, so just highlighting things like projects that have people have built with it talking about like events coming up really kind of fostering new features and things like that or listening to their customers and they'll also even celebrate other tools that they integrate with um so they'll always talk about like when Airtable has a milestone they'll share that and they're really just trying to push that no code movement in whole because they know when that grows their i guess customer base will grow as well too but yeah i think that community in this day and age in particular is one of the most powerful marketing channels that there is um, and it's a lot more sustainable than things like paid acquisition or anything like that so i think that it's really impressive to see them doubling down on that over time goes from acquisition marketing to product marketing community marketing it's 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 the dream we all have to get to well most businesses don't get that chance but speaking of communities and and different ways of approaching it can you give us a, a quick run through on click through and, and what your vision for click through is I mean, it's been through a million different iterations by this point. <laughs> so it started as like the dribble for digital marketers. So I was working in tech startups and whenever one of my colleagues wanted to apply for a job, they would just send like a GitHub link or a dribble link um, and they wouldn't need a resume. And then when I was applying for a job, I had to go through like this process of, you know, take home tasks trying to build like dummy campaigns, sending through a resume. There was no way to just like show them what I had actually done in the past. So I actually used Bubble to build that. And then coincidentally at that time, bit of a sidetrack story for you here. Um, I fell in love with Bubble, realized they had done zero marketing. I wrote like a case study of like the 10 things I would do if I was a marketer of Bubble. And I sent that to the founder and that's how I ended up getting the contract gig for them which was really good to see. And in that post, I actually talked about everything Webflow was doing right um, and Bubble wasn't. <laughs> so, no, it was good. And then, so I built that product with Bubble itself. That just didn't work, to be honest. Like, there just wasn't a demand for it. I built it with the wrong audience. I tried to build too big. I didn't start small. And then I kind of looked at the real problem I was trying to solve, and that was that between moving jobs as a marketer, so I freelance, I've been freelancing for the past year and a half. And the reason I don't have a job is because I never found somewhere that I culturally fitted into. So I always found that I like merged better with kind of more technical people. I enjoyed learning from those people, but I never got to speak to those people when I was actually interviewing. I was only speaking to the founder of the business or like the manager. So before I even got to start the job, I never got to meet the team. And so I wanted to create a product that could essentially do that for me. So it would almost be like if I, Lachlan, was to go and take an interview for you and get to speak to every single team member and identify like what their values were and how they worked throughout their day-to-day -day life as marketers within a team. And I try and display that information as transparently as possible on my platform so you can 
go on, you can choose from the values that mean the most to you. So it could be that you want somewhere that um, allows you to work from home, you want a team that has open communication or room to progress, and it'll just spit back a list of companies that um, meet those values and they can talk specifically about what those values mean to them. And the other big thing I found was that, so at the beginning of the year, I was looking to apply for remote jobs for startups over in San Francisco in particular. And all of the employer branding content that they have is focused specifically for engineers. There's literally nothing about marketers at all because it's so hard to get quality engineers. I completely understand that. So again, really just trying to solve that problem of creating that content for you know, myself or like-minded people. Love it. It's really good. And so the best place to find that or any of your other social media channels online, where should people go to, to follow your content or just even connect with ClickThrough? Yeah, absolutely. So the website for that is just clickthrough.marketing. And if you want to follow anything that I do, follow me on Twitter at Lachlan Kirkwood. That's probably where I'm most active. If not there, LinkedIn, just search my name. And yeah, I'd love to connect and talk shop. <laughs> Brilliant. Lachlan, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope we were able to provide you with some great marketing ideas that'll really help your business. As always, if you'd like to support me and the show, just jump onto iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review. Those reviews really make a difference and help me reach a broader audience. If you'd like to connect, the best way to find me, of course, is on LinkedIn, following me on social media, or just connecting. And if you've got ideas for future episodes or you're a marketer and you would like to appear in a future episode, just hit me up on LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to have a chat. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to speaking with you next week.